nations and neighbors. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're my neighbor. Nations and neighbors. So in case you haven't been here the last couple weeks, I just want to summarize what we've talked about so far. You know, the heart of this series is that God's heart is for the nations of the world. His kingdom is expanding and it's welcoming of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, every language, every skin color. God's heart is for the nations, but his heart also is contextualized to here. You know, we live in Rutherford County. We live in Murfreesboro or one of the surrounding cities around. God's heart is not just for the nations, it's for us, it's for our neighbors. And in this series, what we're really believing and praying for is that God would move us into mission of reaching lost people with the gospel. And so week one, we laid the foundation of what true revival is. Revival is when the Spirit of God shows up to ignite a fire in people, which then accelerates and moves those people towards the mission of God. The Spirit falls, ignites a fire on believers in Jesus, and then moves them towards mission. So you may ask, what's the mission? May I remind you, the mission is that we would reach the unreached and unbelieving with the gospel and then disciple them. That's the mission that we're called to. And then last week, Pastor Ron gave a prophetic call to wake up, to wake up. We have to wake up to the reality that God is on the move and he wants to use us to advance his kingdom. But but that's not going to happen unless we wake up. Perhaps some still find themselves spiritually asleep, maybe spiritually indifferent, or you kind of pass off the mission to others. But the call from last week, again, go back and listen to it, it's to wake up, wake up and see. We are all called into this. We have work to do. Scripture makes it clear that every generation, including this generation, All of us were put on this earth in this time for a purpose. It's not an accident. On purpose. And this is our time. This is our day. We were made for this time and this day. We see how crazy culture may be getting and how far it may be straying away from the truth. But we were made for this time. And we can do something about it. And so today, I want to try to, my best to get extremely practical on how to reach our neighbors, how to reach those around us. And Pastor Ron kicked this off, and this is the part two to how do we reach our neighbors. And again, to define our neighbors, this is those all around us. So I want you to see it in your mind. Our neighbors are those that shop at the same Stores we shop at, Target, Kroger, Walmart, those neighbors shop at the same stores we shop at. They actually literally live next door to you. They are the people you work with. They are the people who eat at the same restaurants you eat at. Their kids go to school 
with your kids. They might even have the same last name as you do. Our neighbors can include our family. Your coworkers that need the gospel are your neighbors. And again, with this message, it's a call to, to stop shrugging that off. We can't keep shrugging our neighbors off and hoping someone else will reach them. Now's the time. You were made for this time. And it's time for us to wake up and get in the game. And so may we continue to pray like we have been every week that God would send revival and ignite our hearts and push us towards mission. And so, if you have your Bibles, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6 is what we're going to study today. So 2 Corinthians 5, specifically verse 14 through verse 3 of chapter 6. And so what 2 Corinthians is all about is it's written by the Apostle Paul and he's exhorting the Corinthian church to wake up and see that we have a ministry to do. We have a, a message to share. Also, the reason that the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians is that they were getting confused as to why he does what he does. They were, they were confusing his motive for advancing the gospel. They were confusing his motive for being so radical for Jesus. And so he writes Corinthians to clarify, this is why I do what I do. It's not for me, it's for Christ. And so what I want to do is just read line by line verses 14 of chapter 5 all the way through verse 3 of chapter 6. And I just want to pull out from scripture, I want to allow scripture to give us practical tips to reaching our neighbors. And so starting in verse 14, we read, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, reg we regard him thus no longer. And so if we stop right there, based on that passage of Scripture, here's the point that the Apostle Paul was making that I want to echo. To reach our neighbors, we have to change the lens we see people through. To reach our neighbors, we have to change the lens we see people through. So for Paul, he says in verse 14 that it's the love of Christ that controls us. It isn't his own love that motivates him. It's not obligation. It's the love of Jesus that actually drives him, which is why he then says in verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. Literally meaning that he no longer sees people through the lens of skin color, of outer appearance. He doesn't view them through the lens of you're just a physical body. He doesn't view them through the lens of you're a stranger. Paul sees them through a different lens. And the lens that he says that he sees people through is as eternal beings, as people with a soul, 
as people that will spend an eternity separated from Christ in hell apart from a saving faith in Jesus. This is the lens he sees people through. And he sees them through the lens called the love of Christ. And so I would add to that point, to reach our neighbors, we have to change the lens we see people through, and that lens has to be the love of Christ. It can't just be your own love. It has to be the love of Jesus, because Jesus died to make a way for all to be saved from their sin. And it's up to us to tell our neighbors this news. And so, change your lens. Again, if you are, are a glasses wearer, I haven't reached that point yet, but it could come soon. You know there's lenses, and they help you see better up close, or they help you see further away. Some people need them to see anything at all. But there's a time where you need to change your lens to help you see something more clear. In the same way, we need to take our lenses off and put on Christ's lens and, and, and allow this to stay the lens in which we see people. This is what the Apostle Paul means by we regard no one according to the flesh. He even adds, I used to see Jesus just according to the flesh. He was just a guy that was in error and he was contradicting the Apostle Paul's faith. But then the Apostle Paul says that Jesus came in and changed the lens and now he sees Jesus for who he truly is as God, as the Messiah, as the Savior. So he says, regard no one according to the flesh. Change the lens that you see people through. And so what this can look like for us is that as you go to the same places you typically go, just see people through a different lens. They aren't just serving you coffee. They aren't people that are just your fellow co-workers. They're people in need of Jesus. And when you see them this way, it will move you to pray for them and ask the Lord to show you how you can bless them, how you can love them, how you can nurture them towards the truth. And so we have to change. This is the first step. We have to change the way we see people. Stop viewing people, including myself, just through a selfish lens. If we do that, we'll regard them according to their outward appearance, as people who just serve you or work with you as strangers. But the lens that Christ exhorts us to put on is not to view people as strangers, but as neighbors as neighbors. And so I can promise you this, it doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted, if you're unsocial or if you're social. If the love of Christ controls you, you will see people differently. And strangers will become neighbors. So change your lens that you see people through. And, and again, this isn't just a one-time deal. This is an everyday deal. Lord, help me. Help me to change my lens. Help me to see people. This is almost multiple times a day. As you're in the car, as you're going into work, or as you're going to school, or as you're going into the store, it's that prayer, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. And so we continue. Verse 17. A familiar 
scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. New creation. This should cause us to shout and dance. And there's so many different angles that we could approach this, but I I just want to approach it from the angle of, of you in this room. If you're here in this room or if you're here online, you are a new creation in Christ, only in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a true believer in Jesus, you are a new creation. And, and so I address this because I hear it all the time. People who say, I could never be used by God. I could never be used by God to reach others. I, I've disqualified myself because of my sin. My past is too much, or my current struggles are too much, and I, therefore, am disqualified from ever being used by God. That's not what this says. You are a new creation in Christ. In fact, Paul addresses a similar topic to the Ephesian church. In chapter 2 of Ephesians 8 and 10, 8 through 10, he says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith." And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And so just pause there, you are saved for all eternity by grace, through faith in Christ. And that's it. Not a result of anything you or I have done, but solely by the grace of God. But then... Watch this. It continues. Now as a saved person, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So all of those scriptures are saying, you weren't saved by works. You were saved by grace. But now, by grace, you have been saved for works, which means you have not disqualified yourself from being used by God to advance his kingdom. That is a lie. That is a scheme of the enemy at work. It's been at work the entire story of the Bible after Jesus ascended. It's the same deception has been at work and the enemy somehow convinces us you will never be used by God. That's a lie. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. And so as a new creation in Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we have work to do. So you have to get that too. You aren't just saved to just sit in the corner and smile until the end of your life. We were saved 
before works. We were saved for works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And so we were saved so that we can reach the neighbors. This is the work to do. And so let's continue on. Let's dig a little deeper. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. So all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's a lot happening in these verses, but if I could sum it all up, it's that we have been entrusted with the message. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, a.k.a. the gospel, the good news. And these verses give us so many beautiful details of that good news. I mean, just in verse 19, it says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The verse says that God actively is reconciling the world to himself. A lot of times in our minds, we think it's the opposite. It's that we are actively trying to get back to God, and God is far, he's distant. That that used to be the way I thought. God is distant, and through perfection, maybe I can get closer to him. In fact, the gospel is the opposite, that we straight away, and God pursues, and God pursues after us. That's the gospel, that God is actively pursuing people to reconcile them back to himself. And because of Christ's death on the cross, the penalty has been paid for those that believe in him. That's the message of reconciliation. It's it's the message that is an an appeal from God as a loving father to wandering and estranged children to just come home. Just come back home. This is the message of reconciliation that verse 19 speaks of. But if you rewind back to verse 18, verse 18 says, Who will carry this message to a broken world? Us. The church. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, we we have a summer internship that we'll do again this summer for high schoolers. We call it the 518 internship. And it's based on this scripture that God has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. And so we love to just drill in our high schoolers. You are called to ministry. It may not be church staff ministry. It may be working at McDonald's ministry or it may be working at a business or going to MTSU ministry. But we're all called to ministry Because we have the message and we actively are called to bring it to the world. We want our high schoolers to get this. We want all of us to get this. Because the point is, God has chosen us to be evangelists and missionaries. 
that bring the message of reconciliation to our neighbors. God has chosen us to be evangelists and missionaries that bring the message of reconciliation to our neighbors. You are an evangelist. You are a missionary. When you think of an evangelist, do you think of Billy Graham? Maybe you think of the guy on the street going person to person. I wonder what you think of when you think of evangelists. When you think of missionary, do you think of the person that packs up and moves overseas to go to another country to bring the gospel? Both are true, but that is not it. You are an evangelist. You are a missionary. You are a missionary for Jesus in disguise as an employee at the place you work at. You are a business owner in disguise as a a missionary. You are a missionary. That is your primary identity. You are a missionary in disguise as a parent, as a dad, as a mom, as an uncle. You are a missionary furthering the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus with your family, with your coworkers. You're a missionary. And you are called right here to Murfreesboro. But not just a missionary, you are an evangelist. Again, that's one of them scary words, evangelist. In Greek, it's the word euangelion. Which if you look right in the middle of that word, you can see the word angel. Angel means messenger, so euangelion means a messenger that brings good news. So what's our good news? We just talked about it. It's the message of reconciliation. We have good news, the best news. Lord, help us to feel the weight of the good news we have. If we really grasp the weight of it, our lives would be different. We have good news in a world that is consumed with bad, scary, broken. I mean, if you watch the news, you literally are positioning yourself to be reminded of how ugly and broken things are. You're doing it to yourself. (laughs) But in a world full of bad news, we have good news. We are euangelions. We are messengers with good news. The word euangelion, it's a military term. And you see it a lot in the Old Testament. There was always that person that was a part of the military that would deliver news on behalf of the king. And it was always good news. And they would travel. They didn't have email. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have the things we have now where I can literally send a message to everyone in the room at the same time. They didn't have that. They had euangelions. And they would send these messengers from village to village, town to town, And to share, taxes are being lowered. I have good news. Most of the time, the euangelion would travel from town to town to say, the war's over. We won. I have good news. Stop fighting. Stop worrying. The war's over. We are euangelions we can proclaim to our neighbors the war is over 
you can, you can come home. You can come be a part and have your victory in Christ. The war's over. And you can come home because our King, Jesus, has won the war against Satan, sin, and death. This is the good news we have. And we can shout it, we can live it, and we can share it with our neighbors. We can invite everybody into this. And so practically, I encourage you, invite everybody to the Good Friday worship night. Invite literally everybody to Easter because we are celebrating that our King has won the war and we have victory in Him. And this is the good news and we can invite people into it to worship and celebrate our King. We are evangelists. You are a euangelion. You are a missionary to bring the good news to our neighbors. And so I've just covered three things. You are a new creation in Christ. You are an evangelist. You're a missionary. But all of these three things, they fall under the umbrella of, of my point in all of this is that to reach our neighbors, we have to get a right perspective of ourselves. Not only do we need the right lens that we see people through, which is the love of Christ, we need the lens in which we see ourselves. Again, you aren't disqualified. But you aren't called to just sit in the corner. You are an evangelist. You are a missionary. But you are a new creation. We could preach a whole message on you're an ambassador. You represent the king. You belong to a different country. You're a citizen of heaven and you're an ambassador of Christ. That's another message another day. But you're not just a worker. You're not just an employee or an employer. You're not just a parent. You're not just a student. You're not just a teacher. You're a messenger of the good news. You're a missionary. You're a new creation. And I just was so burdened this morning, just praying, God, God, please let them hear that you are God's plan A. You. The Instagram, the Instagram influencers are not going to reach our city. They're just not. The amazing people we see on social media, even just confined to the church staff, the church staff alone isn't going to do it. We are. And I pray that you would hear that and you would believe it. I know what it's like to listen to a sermon. I know what it's like to take it in and I also know what it's like to walk out the door and forget it all. But if you could hear this, you are God's plan to reach the neighbors in this community. You are. And we'll spend the rest of time on earth telling you and convincing you that you are. You're a new creation. You're a missionary. You're an evangelist. You are God's plan to reach this community, to reach our neighbors, and I pray you would hear it. So, now we shift into chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1 through 3. Working together with him, which isn't that amazing, that we get to work together with our Father. 
working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And so not only do we get to work with God, isn't that amazing that he would invite us in to work with him? It's kind of that classic picture of a father bringing his son along to work. But the point that I want to point out in these scriptures is this. To reach our neighbors, we have to fight to put no obstacles in their way. Paul here was saying that they strive to be Christ-like and keep their motives pure and walk in integrity so that no one can find any fault in their ministry. Again, I said this earlier, this, this whole book of 2 Corinthians was written to clarify Paul's motive because the Corinthians, for some reason, started to question his motive. Why is he so zealous for Jesus? He must be in it for the money. And Paul writes, no, no, I'm in it because I have this Savior that loves me. And this message compels me to share it. And so, but his point, and even in writing this, is to put no obstacle in their way from receiving this full message that he's sharing he wanted no one to find any fault in his ministry. And so here, here's the amazing yet terrifying privilege that we have as believers. By every word and action, we can make others think more or less about Christ and his church. Everything we do or everything we say has the ability to positively or negatively affect people and push them towards or away from Christ. I mean, we see this every day. Why aren't you a Christian? I hate, Christ I hate Christianity. Well, why? Because the Christians. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with God. At least the majority. The majority don't want to be a Christian not because of Jesus. It's because of the people. The church hurt is because of the people. And again, every story, go case by case and analyze it. But for the most part, people are actually wronged. By every word, by every action, we can positively or negatively affect people. And affect them in their receptivity to the gospel. And so what these verses challenge us to do, may we hear it that we have to analyze our lives and see if there's anything in us that would be a stumbling block to our neighbors from coming to know Jesus. We are called to walk in, and it's not a popular word, holiness. Holiness. And what that means is that by the Spirit of God, we put to death all of the sin in our life. Even after a believer, we're forgiven of it, praise God. But as those that have been forgiven, now we, by the Spirit, have the power to put it to death. This is not just the outward. This is the inward. This is the heart motives. This is the heart posture. But of course, it does include the outward. It's the, 
habitual sin that we find ourselves in. We are called to a life of putting to death all outward and all inward sin. This is holiness. And if we fall, praise God, we fall into grace. We fall into the safety net of Christ's blood, but we don't use that grace as a license to sin. And so, we are called to walk in holiness, and a, and a message, hear this, a message, our message, will always be heard in the context of an individual's character. And so if your neighbor sees you every day stressed out, angry, doing crooked things at work, but then you come and say, let me tell you the gospel, they're going to be like, no. Because a message will always be heard in the context of a person's character. And so I say that to maybe put a little weight on us. That if we say we love Jesus, yet look and live and talk just like the world, why would they listen? What do you have that they don't have? Again, I'm not saying to be a stuck up, I'm better than you religious person. But what I am saying is that we should really analyze our lives and see, is there any stumbling blocks in my life? As I share the message of Christ, does it align with my character? Because we, like Paul, should look to put no stumbling blocks, no obstacles in the way of someone coming to know Jesus they should see integrity and humility and a passion for Christ. They should see a commitment to loving our spouse and our kids and a love for the church and a love for fellow believers in Jesus. And they should see that if we do fall or we do screw up, then we do everything we can to make it right because we fall into grace and we want to be at peace with everyone. This is Paul's heart. And so on and on and on we could go. But based on these scriptures, to summarize, to reach our neighbors, we have to change the lens we see people through. We also see that to reach our neighbors, we have to get a right perspective of ourself. You're a new creation. You aren't disqualified. But you're an evangelist, a missionary. And, to fi and finally, to reach our neighbors, we have to fight to put no obstacles in their way. This is what 2 Corinthians challenges us to do. And to me, this is the foundation of reaching our neighbors. But I want to end this message really contextualizing this. So once you get a right perspective of others, of yourself, and once you really fight to put no obstacle in other people's way, then what? And let's end the message talking about that. And what I'm about to do, I'm just going to toss out a bunch of stuff. My hope is that you just catch one of them and do it. Are you ready? I'm just going to toss out a bunch of stuff, just catch one, pick one you like, and just do it. You ready? Here we go. Number one. I already covered this some earlier. This is to reach the neighbors among us. Number one, build relationships with people you see frequently. Stores, restaurants, work, school. Build relationships you see with people you see frequently. So, 
when you go eat out at a restaurant, consider choosing a place you can regularly go to. And even ask for the same waiter or waitress. Again, this is work. You've got to intentionally do it. There's a small number of people that naturally do this. The majority of us, we have to intentionally do it. This is a way to slowly but surely build relationships with people and allow them to get to know you and your family. And over time, prayerfully see the Lord open a door for you to share Christ with them. If you go to the same grocery store, get to know the employees. They might think you're weird. And that's fine. Get to know your coworkers. Show an interest in their lives. Get to know your classmates. And family. Get to know your family. I can't tell you how many family members I have. I don't even know them. I don't. And some of that is on me. And maybe I should invest more. Again, the way to share the message of the gospel with others usually begins with a relationship. So, pause. I know I probably just lost a lot of the introverted and unsocial people in the room. (laughs) You saw some people rise up and you saw some people shrink down in their seats. I know not everyone is naturally social and extroverted. But again, I don't say this insensitively. I think too many times we hide behind things like personality tests and the Enneagram to excuse our neglect to love people. I don't say that insensitively. But as opposed to conforming to what some test tells you, how about we allow the word to transform us and control us and lead us in the love of Christ. Now, that's not me dismissing some of those things. Those tests can be very helpful, but I see it more times than not. I can't talk to people. I'm a fill in the blank. There's no asterisk at the bottom of this that says excluding these. (laughs) I don't say that insensitively, but that's why Paul even says, let's just pretend that Paul is an introvert. This is why he might say, I let the love of Christ control me. Because to myself, and I'm not saying this is the Apostle Paul, but just pretend If you are a naturally inward-focused person, if you let the love of Christ control you, you won't be that way. Build relationships with those you see frequently. For me, just to give you a real-life example, and I'm going to move on. For me, this is why you will find me a lot of times at Brasshorn Coffee Shop. This is where I write a lot of my messages. I like it. I like being around the noise. It helps me focus. I don't know why. But not only is it the best coffee in town, but I love just being a regular. I'm to the point now, and I love it. I love that I can walk in and they go, you want your usual? And I say, yep. I love that. And I love that I can know the employees' names and they know mine. And even the other day, on Tuesday, I think, no, on Monday, when I walked in, a guy approached me, he said, I see you in here a lot. 
He said, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Landon. He's like, that's cool. I was like, what's your name? And he told me his name. And of course, I just took advantage. I'm like, what do you do? I'm, I'm an MTSU student. What are you studying? Religious studies. I'm searching all the religions. <laughs> I said, I would love to be a great research partner to help you. And he said, that would be great. And we got, I got his number, and we're going to meet for coffee. And it's, it's just the familiarity. And it doesn't just have to be me. It can be you. Change the way you see people and build relationships. You don't even have to change anything. If you have a favorite restaurant, just change the lens you see people through. Engage in relationships. If you go to the same store, change your lens. This is a way that we can reach our neighbors. Okay, number two. Open up your home and practice hospitality. Just do it. <laughs> COVID messed things up. It did. It was great in a lot of ways, but this, the hospitality side of the faith, COVID messed it up because people are sketchy to go into homes now. That doesn't matter. May we practice biblical hospitality. When's the last time you had an unbeliever into your home? When's the last time you had a next-door neighbor over for dinner? It may stretch you. It may be scary, but it's worth it. Again, this is the heart behind go and tell. Go and tell. Your dining table is a place of ministry. It's a place of ministry with your spouse. It's a place of ministry with your kids. It's a place of ministry with your unbelieving family. There's a book that I wish everybody could read. We need a book club or something. I always have a book to recommend, but it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. And in her book, Rosaria calls believers to regain the beauty of biblical hospitality. And she shares her testimony on how the Lord saved her. She, she was a living... She was living a lesbian lifestyle. She was a hardcore feminist. And she was a professor of English at Syracuse University. And she openly attacked Christians and Christianity through her writings. And a pastor near the university read one of her writings. And in response to it, sent her a letter saying, come to my house for dinner. And she was hesitant at first, but she accepted the invitation. And she actually viewed it as free research. She, she was writing a book to attack religion, and she, she thought this could be a great opportunity to have free research assistance. And so she goes, and after two years of weekly dinner at this couple's house, and she even says the first several dinners were, were nothing but just getting to know each other, and she was so fascinated that they would not, they would not invite her to church, they, and it just worked for her. And two years of weekly dinner, hospitality, inviting her into their home. Long story short, she would come to know Jesus. She would leave her life of sin. And now she's married to her husband, who's the lead pastor of a church in North Carolina. And they are actively advancing the kingdom together. It's amazing.
and, and she just, she wrote a book to encourage believers back into this because this is what got her. And she was like top of the line enemy of the church. She hated Christians and she had a lot of people following her and hospitality is what the Lord used to get her. And so do it, do it. It doesn't have to be Joanna Gaines fancy every time. It might just be, we're ordering pizza. You can come over if you want. Awesome. It's just opening your home. And it might be awkward. You might, know, you might not know what to say. And that's fine. The Spirit of God will meet you there. Open up your home. Again, we're putting boots on the ground. Number three, we're going to go a little bit quicker. Commit to going long term with people. We all long to see the stories of I met them, I shared the gospel, they fell on their knees and repented, and they're Christians now. That's a great story, but that is a small number of stories. Most of the time, it takes people a long time to come to faith. And so may we be committed to walking with people longer than just a few weeks, long term, going the distance, being steadfast. This is what worked for Rosaria, two years of hospitality. And so as you interact with people all around you, go long-term with them. And I also want to add to this that we have to be careful not to view people as just projects. View them as people. Meet them where they are. And let that lens be the love of Christ. But Jesus doesn't view people as just projects or tasks. He sees them as people. And may we do the same. You know, I would say if people, if they, after a long time, if they walk away from you and they reject Christ, may they do that having stepped over your love and your respect to them. So go long term. Okay, number four, two more. Just catch one and grab it. Number four, use church invitations as an on-ramp to relationships. What I mean is sometimes it is just easy to invite somebody to church, especially in the area we live in. Sometimes just a church invitation, come to Good Friday with me. We're going to eat. Dinner's free. Come eat. Come to Easter with me. Use these church invitations as an onboarding ramp to relationship. And so what I mean by that is as you bring people along with you to church, commit to them. Let's go to lunch after church. Why don't you and your family come over this week? Why don't we grab coffee sometime? But use the church invitation as an onboarding ramp towards community. It's an easy way to reach the neighbors around us and bring them here. Again, this is the best place to be. It's an amazing body of believers. So bring them, but use it as an onboarding ramp to relationship. Here's the last one. Just ask the Lord to show you and obey what he says. <laughs> just ask the Lord to show you and just obey what he says. I don't know how else to say it. Ask the Lord to show you as you go through life, as you go to work, go to school, interact with your family, go to the store, ask the Lord sh to show you. God, give me strategy and obey what he says. Maybe the Lord will begin to give you creative ways to reach your next-door neighbors. Maybe he'll give you an idea to reach others at work. And just do it.
and obey what he says. And I want you to hear me when I say this. There is no specific one-sized-fits-all formula to sharing the gospel. It could, be a, it could be street evangelism, where you like go to MTSU and just kind of have cold conversation, just on the fly, invite others into conversation. Perhaps that's what the Lord uses to reach somebody. Maybe it's relational evangelism. Maybe it's neighborhood evangelism. Maybe it's Bible study at work evangelism. Maybe it's just grab coffee with somebody evangelism. There's no formula. It's just a Christian that is willing to say yes to whatever the Lord leads them to do. And this is how we can reach our neighbors. And so I've tossed a lot out. Just catch one and do it. And we will see our neighbors reached with the gospel. Amen. Let's stand together. I love this. I'm, I'm pumped up about a church that walks in evangelism. And again, I pray that the Lord would meet you wherever you are and spur you, ignite a fire in you towards this. Again, I know we all have different personality types and different giftings. And to talk to someone might require you need a whole day of isolation and solitude I get it but we're all called to this and God's plan is us all of us together actively living this out and so take a picture of this but I have four things that you can just pray for every day four things that you can just pray these are four prayers you can ask the Lord Number one is help me to see people the way you see them and love people the way you love them. So Lord, help me to see people the way you see them and help me to love people the way you love them. And then number two, again, you're praying to the Lord. Lord, help me to see myself as a missionary on mission to reach the unreached. And then a third thing, Lord, help me to put aside any stumbling blocks to others coming to know Jesus. And then number four, Lord, help me to have strategy and loving my neighbors and the courage to obey. Just four things you can pray every day. You can take a picture, have it on your phone, you can print it out, whatever the case. But this is what we can ask the Lord to help us with as we pray. I, I am believing the Lord is going to transform our heart to this to see people differently, to love people with the love of Christ, to actively be missionaries, to neglect putting stumbling blocks in people's way and to have strategy and to know how to do it. And so I wanna end this service just praying over you and praying into these things and then I'll dismiss us. So pray with me. Lord, I just pray right now First of all, for the one that may be far away from you, for the one that doesn't really know, but God, maybe today they heard this message that there is a gospel, a good news that invites the sinner, that invites the one far away to just come home, 
to you as a loving father. And so, Lord, I pray if that person is hearing this message, I pray you would move them to respond. God, let them come talk to me, talk to someone they they came here with. But, Lord, just draw your people in. And, God, all of us as believers in Jesus, would you help us to see people the way you see them? Would you give us a new lens for our coworkers, for our family, for our neighbors, for the restaurant employees? God, don't, and don't let it just be today. Don't let it just be today after lunch. We act different, and tomorrow we're back to the normal. God, do a radical transformation. Only you can do that, Lord. God, help us to have the right identity and perspective of ourselves. Lord, you have called us to ministry, to the ministry of reconciliation. And God, help us to lay aside anything that would cause someone to stumble. God, anything in our character, any sin patterns, Lord, not only does it affect us, but it affects those that we could reach. Lord, we repent of our sin. Would you forgive us? And would you help us have the power to overcome? And Lord, give us each strategy. Help us to know how to reach our neighbors. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, if you're thankful for the Lord, you're thankful that he would use you. Slip the shout. Thank you, Lord. Awesome. Well, here's what we want to do. We want to, like we say, we want to end every service just commissioning you out. So consider yourselves commissioned to go and actively reach the neighbors around us. Go and reach the neighbors. And next week, we're going to talk about the nations and our place in reaching the nations. But we love you. Invite people to Good Friday and Easter. And we'll see you back here next Sunday. God bless you, everybody.